to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I'm Paul Nefer, your host. And today we're actually going to have a conversation with Kyle Tom from, uh, I would say, what, North Central Indiana or for the people out there listening, uh, whereabouts are you located at, Kyle? So we are in Warsaw, Indiana, which is south of South Bend, about one hour. So North Central Indiana is what we normally say. Okay, perfect, perfect guy. I, I visited out there a few years back, and that was my memory. But uh, uh, my problem, Kyle, is I've been I've been in so many states in the last uh, and met so many farmers in the last uh, ten years that uh, sometimes I lose track of where they're at. So, <laughs> understand. How are things going in Indiana right now? Yeah, you know, things are progressing. Uh, we're looking forward to this next next crop that we're going to be putting in here, and uh, well. I would say probably four to five weeks is when we're hoping to start. So everything's moving along. Yeah. And I I was telling you offline that uh, uh, in Denver today, it's supposed to hit almost 70 degrees or actually Parker, which is a suburb of Denver. But tomorrow, I think our high is like 29. So, uh, um, you know, just typical Denver weather. It can be 81 day and 40 the next day. <laughs> that sounds like Indiana weather to me. <laughs> Well, why don't we go ahead? We always get started with uh, just sort of uh, uh, your background as far as education, how you got started in the farm and and all that good stuff. So, uh, well, first and foremost, thank you for having me on. Uh, so my background is is 100% in agriculture. I mean, I remember growing up on the farm with my father and, you know, sitting there on the on the tractor floor. That's before we had buddy seats. Yeah, I would be with him all day, every day, whenever I was not in school. And, you know, that just really got a passion in me and, and just started me off correctly. I, I saw how hard my dad worked then and how hard he works now. And I wanted that same drive and dedication. So uh, after I graduated high school, I traveled to Illinois for, for college and uh, did a couple internships uh, in between in my summer year or my summertime. And with Syngenta and BASF, which okay. it's, um, I like the chemical side and the seed side of things. So uh, I got a different perspective of, of not just, you know, putting seeds in the ground, but uh, how everything is done behind the scenes. Now, so at both Syngenta and BASF, were you strictly on the seed side or were you also on the chemical side or what, what, what was some of your roles at, at those two companies? So with, uh, with both companies, I was mainly on the chemical side. Okay. And I also got to calibrate um, planters for insecticide. So well, back then, back then that might've been a little bit different. It is calibrating planters these days. Uh, yeah. You don't just, touch a button and, and it's calibrated anymore. Uh, you know, back then you did everything manually and, uh, you know, I enjoyed it. It was a challenge to me and, and, and I got to learn how to do it and bring that knowledge back to the farm. That's sort of like teaching my, although my grandkids aren't quite old enough yet, but maybe my younger son, what a typewriter is. He's going, dad, what's this thing? What's, what's a typewriter? And I have to explain to him uh, what a typewriter was. So <laughs> yeah, this generation doesn't know what a rotary phone is. So exactly. Well, and you're talking about being on the uh, the tractor floor. I, I remember 
you know, vivid memories of being on the combine and I'm laying down on the combine floor and and then uh, probably fell asleep a few times. And I got to admit, my my dad had the patience of Job. So, uh, uh, you know, he put up with me being out there all the time. Yeah, same with mine. <laughs> well, and just for the listeners out there, your dad is Kip Tom, who was a top producer winner about, oh, I don't remember the exact year, but it's, I think my memory would be about 20 years ago. Does that sound about right, Kyle? That's pretty, probably pretty close. Okay. And then also he was... Why don't you give the formal under uh, President Trump? I know he went to Italy. And what was his formal title for USDA? So his official title was the United States Ambassador to the UN for Food and Agriculture. And it was based out of Rome, Italy. And he was over the World Food Program and FAO. Okay. Uh, Go ahead. I was going to say, having that on your business card, that that would almost take up most uh, about half the space of the business card. I, I'm sure it did. <laughs> well, so you you had internships during college and then you graduated. Did you come back to the farm right away or did you work off farm a little bit? I did. I, I came back right away uh, just because there, there was a need uh, for me to come back. Um, you know, we were we weren't especially large at the time, but we didn't have a whole lot of employees either. And uh, I wanted to come back because, you know, I was fresh out of college. I had all these great ideas in my mind on how to how to continue the farm. And and uh, I knew had the knowledge of operating equipment and the business side of things. So uh, my dad and I made a decision and, and it was I think it was the right decision. Uh, well, I thought it was the right decision then. But as I look at it now, I wish I would have gone off farm for probably, you know, five years or so. Uh, to get some more business experience yep. and, and then bring that knowledge back to the farm as well. So at that point in time, about what is, was that about 15, 20 years ago or what, 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 when was that uh, when you came back to the farm? Well, that would have been, <laughs> I'm aging myself now. It's uh, 23 years ago. <laughs> and at that point in time, what was the size and, and what was the type of farming that you're doing at that time versus where you're at right now? So the size back then, we were about probably about five to six thousand acres, um, and you know we were we were doing seed corn. We started seed corn in 1985 and uh, progressed from there. But uh, so, and it was a mainly corn, soybeans, seed corn operation. Uh, and then once we once we got larger. Uh, we traveled, we, we went in and started on tomatoes, potatoes, um, had some cucumbers also. We are no longer doing any of the specialty crop, mainly because we can make just as much money or similar money uh, without all the headache that goes along yeah. with, with uh, tomatoes, potatoes, and everything else. You know, it's, it's a very intense crop that you really have to watch over, and, uh, and it was just the, the management side and the structure just it wasn't right for Tom Farms at that time. So we we switched back and, you know, we're 100 percent seed, seed corn, commercial corn and soybeans. Yeah, that, that's a nice thing about corn and a soybean seed. You put it in the ground. Yeah, you got to watch it a little bit, but uh, it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't go kaput like a tomato or a potato seed might at times. No, you know, seed corn, it's it's a different animal. Uh, in my book, there's so much more management uh, that has to be done. 
uh, timeliness is, is key with seed corn. So we really have to know what we're doing on that. And luckily we're, we're, I consider ourselves one of the leaders in seed corn production in, in the U S. So, um, just cause we have been doing it so long, uh, that we know the ins and outs. Yeah. I'm just curious again, for the listeners out there that, uh, you know, out in our neck of the woods. Well, I used to be in Washington state. There's not as much seed corn here in, in Colorado that I'm aware of, but certainly in Washington, a uh, fair amount of seed corn uh, out there because of the irrigation and, and so on. Um, for the listeners out there, what what is sort of unique about seed corn as far as a farming operation? I, I think I'd like to expand on that just, just so those that aren't familiar with how it, it is management different. Uh, I'm just curious if you can expand on that. So seed corn is a male and female seed. So what we do, we make make sure that the pollen and and uh, the silk are matched up to make that a certain gene that's in the seed. So uh, it's it's a little different, difficult to explain. But in layman's terms, we take the male gene and the female and we cross pollinate them, so it comes out with uh, the genes that commercial farms uh, plant next year. And the, the difference in the management structure is you, you don't always plant the same, the male and female at the same time. So you have a delay in the male corn, or you could have a delay in the female corn so that they both pollinate or so it pollinates at the correct time. Um, and then you detassel the female corn so it doesn't self-pollinate. Then it just lets the male corn or male uh, tassels pollinate the female corn. And then, so when we drive through or drive by a seed corn field, you'll see, what is it, four rows of female and then one row of male, and then ultimately you end up taking, once the male's done its job, you sort of take the male row out. Do I have that correct? That's correct. Uh, you know, we, we used to be on a 4-1 pattern when we were on 30-inch rows. We're on 20-inch rows now, so it's a 6-1 pattern. And once the once the male has done its job, you're correct. It it we do destroy the male. So all you see out there is the or is the four rows or the six rows of the female, and that's what we harvest. And we harvest it on the ear with a oxbow seed corn harvester. It so that's I, I was gonna say that's sort of like the black widow spider. You know, once once the male is, or or a bee once the male's done its job, uh, the female gets rid of it. Yeah, and the praying mantis does the same thing. So very <laughs> So now the ox, like you say, the oxbow um, corn, seed corn harvester comes through. You harvest the whole uh, ear, don't you? You don't harvest all the seed out. You harvest the ear or do you harvest the whole seed? I wasn't no, sure on that. It, nope, you harvest the ear alone. And uh, it, it's essentially a, a sweet corn harvester. Um, yep. You know, our, our corn heads are 18 rows wide and uh, it's, it's a big conveyor belt with some fans on it. The head does the majority of the work, uh, takes all the, the stock down through and just leaves it with the ear. And then that ear goes into the bin. Uh, then we, we transport that to a semi and that goes to, it could go to uh, Constantine, Michigan or Remington, Indiana. And and who is that for BASF or bear or excuse me bear or is that for 
pioneer that's, who was that's for Monsanto. Yes, Monsanto. So, well, we can't say that word anymore. So, yeah. legacy Monsanto. Yes. <laughs> okay. Now, what what about what moisture level do you harvest that corn? Well, since the seed is very fragile, uh, you don't want to you don't want to disturb the gene the genome in the in the seed. So, uh, typically in the 30s to lower 40s. So, I mean, they won't, they don't want us to harvest any time be before like 40 to 42% moisture. Um, and then we don't like harvesting below 25 to 28, mainly because you're going to get a lot more head shelling because mm -hmm. the seed, the seed is, uh, like I said, much more fragile and it will fall off in the head. So we like that higher moisture and it, that seed will uh, adhere to the cob a little bit better. Yeah. Okay. Well, like I say, it's just, uh, uh, you know, a lot of my talks have been with what I call the normal commercial um, operation. And, and with you having primarily a seed operation, I, I wanted to at least share with the audience out there some of the differences. Is there any other, now, like I say, there's a fair amount of management. So you're going to seed the female, let's say you seed the female first, and then you come back with the same planter and just seed that that six row later on, or, or how does that work on the planting side? Uh, you can do that. We don't. Uh, what we do, we have a Hawkins 60 foot bar that we have uh, six rows on. It's that's six rows on it only. Um, and then we have a central commodity box on the center that we put the seed in. And so we have a track tractor that we put that on uh, because during seed corn planting, when you plant the female, it might be might be perfectly dry. And then when you go in and say 60 to 120 heat units later to plant the male, uh, you it may you may have you know two inches of rain and you have to get it in, no ifs, ands, or buts because of the timing of the of the seed. So uh, we go through and we uh, of course, we try to plant whenever it's dry, but uh, we plant with a with a Hawkins six, 60 foot bar. Okay, okay. and that's just, just a three point. Um, it's we don't pull it. Uh, it it works really well for us. And of course, having the track, you can get through a little bit wetter soil than you can with a with a with a, a wheel tractor. Correct. Correct. Okay, and and because of your location in in north central indiana you do have a little bit more um sandy soil and you do a fair amount of irrigation is that right that's correct uh we we are a sandy loam soil here in in northern north central indiana and we're very fortunate to be on an aquifer uh that uh that we have irrigation we i think we've got 105 or 107 irrigation pivots that we're able to turn on and in the snap of a finger or hop on our phones and turn them on very easily. Uh, and that's that's one reason why seed corn is so prevalent here because we can control, kind of control our water. Um, it's, I know Iowa and Illinois, they, they're they known for seed corn as well, but I think Indiana is, is uh, kind of the top tier when it comes to seed corn and lower Michigan as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm going to be jealous here because I just uh, just put in a 1,400 foot well in Southwest Missouri on my farm down there. I'm I'm just guessing you don't have to go down 1,400 feet to get good water. So uh, just just make me feel bad. How how deep do you normally go with your wells? Well, uh, Kosciuszko County is known for their lakes and streams. 
Uh, we've got, I think, a hundred, little over a hundred lakes in Kosciuszko County, which so that's it's great for the boaters. We actually go underneath uh, that aquifer. We go down about a hundred feet, and we can do a uh, thousand to twelve hundred gallons a minute pretty easily at a hundred feet. But there's a <laughs> so sorry to make you a little jealous there. But, <laughs> yeah, you're really you're really making me feel good today. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, when we put in our uh, we 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 put in our grain system we had when we put in our pit uh we were a little nervous because we had to go down 17 feet and we were afraid that we we're going to have water there so luckily we did not uh at in that area so uh, there was a lot of hand-driven wells back at uh, many many years ago for homes so uh one inch wells they were hand-driven and and you could get a good a good amount of water then yeah I, I remember on one of the farms we had as a kid, uh, we had a rental house on there and it had an artesian well. And that was just funny. I'd be there with my dad and the water's just bubbling out. You didn't have to even really put a pump on it. Now you did, but uh, it, it was sort of interesting to see what an artesian well was. Yes, very interesting okay. technology. So how, what is the structure of your farm operation right now as far as the people that are involved in ownership and management and so on? I'm just curious what that looks like. So the ownership structure hasn't changed in many years as of right now. Um, my grandmother and grandfather uh, still owners. Unfortunately, my grandfather passed away February 6th of 2022, but my grandmother is still an owner. Um, my aunt, my, or my dad's sister, Melissa, she is an owner. Uh, my dad, myself, and my brother. Okay. Okay. So as far as management of the farm, who would be the managers of the farm right now? So, uh, you know, my dad, Kip, he is the overall manager. He is the, uh, guy that we go to when we have any problems or anything, but he keeps us in line. Uh, then we have my brother. He's uh, data entry, IT, uh, which is which is crucial nowadays yep. because there's so much IT, and he also does all of our our buying of uh, seed and, and chemicals. Okay, okay. Um, and then you are are you then sort of in charge of the actual farm yeah, operation? Yeah, we kind of look over. You know, every kind of everybody kind of helps each other out. But yeah, we look over. I look over the the structure of the farm, the outside entity, if you will, um, help on the business side as well. Um, okay. My Melissa does accounts receivable, accounts payable. Um, my grandmother, she's, I think she's 92 now. So she's, she's, I think she's retired. I got to check with her. It changes daily, but uh, no, she, she is, uh, she's living her life to the fullest right now. You're right about that a little bit on on some of that older generation, you know, the generation uh, probably above your dad and I that uh, um, they don't really necessarily retire. No, my grandfather, two days before he passed away, he was down at the cattle lot and that was that was his baby. Um, he he loved life, loved my grandmother and loved cattle. Yeah, yeah, that's that that's that's not a bad uh uh types of love i would say so uh, yeah. but uh, you know on on the growth you definitely have had the growth in the farm operation yeah. as you look back are there certain things you think you did well or are there certain things you did poorly or things you'd like to maybe change or do over well i i think everybody every farmer thinks he did everything really well but you know everybody uh 
has done things wrong, uh, which we wish we could go back and change. I think on on the plus side, on the things that we did right, was the move to seed corn in 1985. That was that was key to our structure, and my dad took that and ran with it, and uh, really taught taught us all. Okay, don't just be stagnant on where you are, and just don't be happy with with the status quo. Um, as he always said, you know, think global, act local. So that's really what we do. We look at we look at things around the world and and really kind of structure our business around that. Uh, things that we've done wrong. Oh boy, um, I wish we would have bought ground when it was a thousand or two thousand dollars an acre. <laughs> so uh, I wish we would have bought. Yeah, that's one thing I wish we would have bought ground when it was uh, much cheaper and easier to get. Because uh, right now in today's infrastructure, it's it's very, very difficult and much more expensive to do. What what I'm just curious. What what is the going rate for for ground in your area right now? Last auction that was here, it was an irrigated 270 acres and went for fifteen thousand two hundred fifty dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's. Uh, uh, of course, I'll make you a little bit jealous, and uh, not really, but uh, you know, I bought the ground in Iowa that this year did 260 or 250 bushel corn, and I paid six thousand dollars an acre for it. But that was just the middle of the pandemic, so it's just one of those curious things. One one positive thing about the pandemic—that's great. Yeah, <laughs> one of the few things. So, yes. uh, although maybe one of the positive things is you got to spend more time with your with your family, or maybe that might have been a negative thing. It just depends on yeah. your situation. So. Nope, I've I've been married for twenty two years. I have three sons, and uh, you know, spend time with them that I don't normally get to spend it was it was it was uh, a, hopefully a once in a lifetime opportunity. But you know, it's it's great to see my my kids grow up and and. Uh, you know, being a farmer, you're on the, you're out all the time. You know, I don't get to drive tractors much anymore, but uh, just the management side of things is is different than than what it was. But uh, it's always good to spend time with family. Yeah, yeah, and and one of my favorite things from a farm side is operating a combine. You know, I grew up uh, driving combine. Probably, well, I was, you know, my dad to let me steer and let me do a bunch of stuff when I was very very young. And then I think about age. 13 14 he started letting me drive not necessarily full-time i think i was full-time about age 15 but you know out in our area we have steep hills so you always had to pay attention and you know i've slid a combine down a hill my dad flipped a combine but these days with the auto steer and everything else that when i go operate a combine for some of my friends i'm like this i i hate to say it kyle but it's a little bit boring i can understand that um i think uh I think when I was growing up, my, you know, my grand, my father uh, and grandfather always ran the combine and I would, I would sit there with them and my dad would always let me, uh, we had an 8820 John Deere and he would let me move the auger out and pull the big yellow, yellow lever and start the corn flow to the grain cart. So <laughs> in, in my mind, I was, I was king of the hill. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you get in combines nowadays, it's, I, I can understand where you're saying it. Yeah, it could be boring. Um, it's always exciting for the first few days or week, but uh, as many acres as we go over, I can, it does get boring after a while. Yeah, yeah. Now, I will admit out, you know, in the Pacific Northwest, uh, out in the area where I have my farm right now, 
Um, I was riding the combine last year, and definitely when you're going over an eyebrow that has about a 50% slope, uh, you definitely are paying attention then. That's that's not boring. So yeah, we, we don't have that luxury or <laughs> that here. So I mean, our, our ground's as flat as a table. So it's it's we're very blessed. Yeah, you definitely are. Well, Kyle, we're going to take a break for a uh, sponsor message, and we're going to come back and talk about a little bit about succession and then a few other things, and then we'll be done with our uh, with our podcast today. Okay. How many years away is the long run for a farmer? Five years? Ten years? Top producers like Hans Reinchi of Blue Diming Farming Company in Jessup, Iowa, know Raboagra Finance shares his enduring vision for the future. Whether it's building our grain site, or if it's purchasing the next field, we're able to turn to Rabo as a trusted partner to help us get financing to make those generational decisions. With unmatched financial capacity, local relationship managers, and a global network of sector experts to offer market guidance, Rabo Agri Finance provides enterprising farmers with a personalized approach to lending and financial services. Growing a better world together, Rabo Agri Finance. everyone back to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I'm Paul Neefer, your host, and we're going to rejoin our conversation with uh, Kyle Tom from North Central um, Indiana. I almost said Iowa. You know, I, 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 I almost <laughs> messed that up, Kyle. Sorry about nope. that. Um, you know, certainly your, your grandfather just passed away last year. You still got your grandmother. You got your father. You got your aunt you and your brother are involved sounds like maybe you have a sister involved too um what about the next generation what's what's the plan for transitioning the farm operation into the next generation is is there a plan for that yet or are they still too young oh no there there's absolutely a plan uh my oldest son is 21 years old he's a senior down at purdue university studying agribusiness so he has every intention in coming back to the farm but uh we are going to have him go away for four or five years, learn some business experience, and and then if he's wanting to come back to the farm, then he's more than welcome to. Uh, my my eighteen year old son just got accepted to Hampton Sydney College out in Farmville, Virginia, and he's going for law. So I think every every farm needs a needs a good lawyer. <laughs> so, and then I've got a uh, a fourth grader that. Um, he's really into basketball and, and, uh, BMX and being a fourth grader. Well, so that, that's good. You want them to do that. Yes. You know, so, you, you, they need yeah. to live their life, what, how they want to live it. And then if they want to come back to the farm, let them come back to the farm at that point. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we have a succession planner. I believe you had him on your show in January, Lance Woodbury. Yep. Uh, and he's done really well for us in the past. We've been with him, or he's been with us for I think ten or eleven years now. And so, uh, you know, it, it's crucial. You you don't have to have a succession planner if you've got a mindset and and you know exactly what you want um, and who's going to be doing what. But you know, we've got, like you said, my sister, my brother, uh, my aunt is going to be retiring sometime soon, and so. 
uh, you got to really have to plan for that next generation now uh, versus versus later because later might be too late. Yeah, you're right. You don't have to have that um, succession planner to help, but I sort of view that succession planner a little bit like oil in an engine. Uh, you know, the engine, you know, it needs a little bit of oil just to operate properly. And sometimes that succession planner can help make it a little bit smoother, get it going. Um, and, you know, a lot of times, especially when you're dealing with family operations, you know, you have those family dynamics that sometimes can interfere, whereas that third party can sort of smooth out those dynamics. Right. You want clear eyes going into it. And, you know, to have a, a person like Lance, um, you know, coming in with, with a different perspective, clear eyes. And, um, you know, sometimes it, it's not always the best. Uh, you know, you might disagree, you might agree with them, but you have to really listen to them and take it all to heart. And then you kind of go back and kind of go, well, yeah, he was right or she was right. Yeah. Um, but um, they, they work for you also. So you have to, they have to do what's best for the business. Right. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I've, I've been involved in a few of these or many of these, including I've been involved with one with Lance. And, and the nice thing about having a team approach is there's been times where I've gone into one of these family dynamics or family succession, and I sort of had a preconceived idea. But by the time I got in there and, and, and especially with the other people that are involved, oh, I, I did a 180 degree turn. And I think a good family um, succession planner is going to understand that it isn't their plan, it's the family's plan, and you got to help them figure out what that plan really should be. That's, yeah, I 100% agree with you. And that's also why we have a board of directors, um, or excuse me, it's an advisory board, not a board of directors. But, um, you know, we always, we tend to have a, you know, a banker, a farmer, uh, a businessman on there. So we get kind of the, the overall realm of things and they're they're also key to our organizations so just curious for the listeners out there an advisory board how often do you meet what type of material do you provide to them um is it really formal it's going to be every quarter I, I i'm just curious how you operate your advisory board we do it two times a year and uh first time is in april roughly um or, or late march and the second time of the year is typically in September when we have our uh, our uh, uh, we have a, a big meal for our landowners and community participants um, or people around the community, and we always have it right around then as well. Okay, okay, okay. Well, good. Well, I think uh, we've 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 gone through the farm operation a little bit of succession. I always like to have three or four key things that I end the podcast with. And, and first, uh, who would you consider your mentor to be? Uh, so I, I actually have two. Um, my grandfather, Everett Tom, um, that passed away last year, uh, he, he taught me how to love and love unconditionally, you know, love my wife. And, and the family is always first. No ifs, ands, or buts. It comes before business, everything. Uh, but family is always first. Mm -hmm. And my second one is, is my dad. You know, it, I admire him so much on where he's come from. You know, he, he didn't go to college. Uh, his, unfortunately his brother passed away 
when he was getting ready to go to college and the farm needed him. So he came back and he really built the farm and built it as a business. Didn't, you know, so many farms nowadays are, are, well, I'm doing this because this is the way my dad did it. My grandfather did it. And my dad looked at it as a, as a business. And that's really what you have to do. And he, he portrayed that onto me. Um, and so he gave me my work ethic. You know, I, uh, I have no problem going out working 80 to hundred hours a week. And, and I don't even think anything of it because that's what my dad did. And he, he really is, bestowed that in me that you need, if you want something, you have to earn it. You don't just get given it and, and just go for your dreams. And, and that's why we as a CPA firm, or at least when I was with the CLA, we really um, enjoyed, I'm going to use that word, hiring farm kids because they were used to working. They had a work ethic, you know, uh, even the younger farm kids these days still have a pretty good work ethic. So we, we, we certainly lean toward that, at least especially for what we called our ABC practice or agribusiness and cooperative practice where we could get those farm kids because they understood during tax season, you might have to work 60 hours a week and that wasn't really a big deal to them. Right, that was, that was, that was an early day. Yeah, 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 that was Wednesday for us, you know, yeah. so we had 60 hours by Wednesday. Well, now speaking of working 80 or 100 hours a week, uh, do you have any time for any hobbies? I do, I do. Uh, I enjoy flying. Uh, whenever I can get up in a plane, I, I try to do that. Um, golf. Yeah, I go out with friends, bankers, uh, whoever. I just really enjoy golfing and, and travel. Uh, I like going to different places to see if I can help them maximize their agricultural potential. Uh, for instance, I went to uh, Ukraine in, in the middle of the war here this last October. Oh. Um, and uh, that, was, that was very eye-opening. And then I just got back from a trip uh, to Sudan uh, here three weeks ago, and they've got so much potential over there. And I'm hoping that uh, I can continue to uh, advise them and go back over there and, and really help them those people out. Because uh, let's let's face it, over in Sudan, it's it's a desert. It's and it's uh, it's very difficult for people to grow their own crops. Uh, put in, put this in perspective, the World Food Program provides 25% uh, of the food in, in Sudan. Mm. So uh, it's, it's, it's very eye-opening. And if we can, we can help them, they've got so much aerial, arable uh, ground over there that has so much potential, we could really help them out. And so they're not dependent on other people. It could really help out. Is is the issue or some of the key issues over in, let's say, Sudan, is it the government, the the corruption and so on, or is it just the fact that it is a desert and they don't necessarily have the infrastructure, or is it a combination of all those things? I'm just sort of curious. It's kind of a combination of all of them combined. Uh, you know, Sudan did just have a coup, and uh, there uh, we got, I got to meet with the president, uh, serving president as of right now. Um, but I think the corruption is, has some, a little bit to do with it. Infrastructure is very, uh, I, I would say bad, uh, roads, 
uh, railway, everything is is not up to par, and technology is not there. Uh, they're they're still in the 70s and 80s with technology. So, if and if you go south of uh, Khartoum, it, you get better ground, and it's it's uh, it's it's greener. You know, there's more grass. But if you go north, you get into the Sahara Desert, and uh, I visited a farm up there. It was uh, 20,000 acres of alfalfa and it was they were literally growing it in in sand and it tell you what it, it looked great uh so but they get 10 cuttings off that a year as well so i'm very, very impressed with with what they're doing in in uh they're north of khartoum but if you go south it's very small it's a lot of smaller farmers everything's done by hand still uh yeah. they're pulling their water from the nile river so it's it's things like that where if you can go over there, yeah, you know, we can't take our practices from here and necessarily transplant them over there, but there are some practices here that they could adapt to and and really really utilize and and build on their on their structure that they have. Okay, well, good. And then uh, what keeps you up at night? <laughs> oh, well, I would say. Um, you know what's this what's this next generation what are their thoughts on on coming back to the farm you know if, if you look at the past generations uh my grandfather's generation i think it was like 80 to 90 percent of the the kids were always coming back to the farm if you look at uh, my generation i think we're down to 50 percent. the next generation's down to 25 to 30 percent so you know, we need to make sure that you know I, I, it keeps me up at night. Okay, where are we gonna? Is are my kids gonna come back to the farm? Are my grandkids gonna come back to the farm? Luckily, I don't have any of those yet. But uh, another thing that keeps me up at night is our our team members, our employees. You know, um, they just we want to make sure that we've got the the best people in the right seats, and yep. and getting getting qualified and, uh, people that want to work is, is always. Is always it didn't used to be a struggle, but it seems more that, that you have to have a you really have to have a passion for farming, um, and I'm I'm afraid that we're losing that passion in the in this generation. I, I agree. Now, are you using any H2A workers, or is it all just local? We are. Uh, we started H2As, I believe, back in 2018 from South Africa. Yeah, and I. I think we've got seven or eight of them this year and they're they're phenomenal they come in they do their job and they go home and uh we pay them a respectable wage um and you know there there is some training but a lot of them are farm kids that, that come up here they make a lot more money than they can down in south africa and they go home and they they live really well down there for and, until they come back and luckily we were we don't have to uh, retrain them because a lot of them are are coming back every year so we're very fortunate on that are they there for the full 10-month period or do you have them there a little bit shorter than that i'm just curious how long you have them there yeah typically we get them in march and they leave uh late november early december okay okay so about nine nine ten months then so yep. and then finally i always end uh my conversation with farmers is uh what is your definition of success in farming Definition of success in farming, I would say leaving the ground 
to the next generation better than what you found it. And I say that because I see a, I see a lot of farms that uh, don't do that. So when you when you look at this next generation, you want to leave everything better than what you found it. And uh, if you can increase your yields and increase your profit at the same time and make uh, make your family happy, that's my success in farming. I, that's that's a good definition. Well, we're we're at the end. I, I just want to let you uh, uh, tell the listeners out there anything else you want to tell, or we'll go ahead and end the conversation. Well, I just really appreciate you having me on, Paul. Uh, it's been a been a pleasure of mine, and uh, I would say everybody that's out there that's uh, looking forward to uh, coming in to a farm or looking for a uh, a place you can call home. You can email me, uh, Kyle Tom at tomfarms.com. I'm on, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. Uh, love to give you an opportunity to come to uh, Tom Farms and visit or make this your home. Perfect, perfect. Well, again, uh, Kyle, thanks a lot. And this is the Farm CPA podcast presented by uh, Top Producer. And this is Paul Nefer, your host, signing off. 